Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. had a great lunch this past Thursday. Uh, met a friend from church here and we just talked and it's really, it's fun when you sit down with somebody at a lunch or a breakfast and, and you just get to know that person a little bit better and maybe you thought you knew them and, and you just see them in a different light and uh, you learn things that you may not have known. You know, w- what they liked and things about work and things about kids and things like that and, and over a meal you get a different perspective. You see their life from a different angle someone that maybe you knew. Most of us here today, we know Jesus. I know that there are some among us that maybe don't. And you're on that spiritual journey and you're investigating and you're seeing what a relationship with God is. But most of those who are gathered here today, you know Jesus. As a matter of fact, some of you were in church the week after you were born. You've been in church and nursery and Sunday school classes and Awana. You know all the stories. You've memorized verses. I mean, you just, you know Jesus. But there is always more to learn. And so in a sense, I want you to pull up a chair today. And I want you to watch him. I want you to listen to him. And I want you to see him from a different angle. As, as it's not necessarily a meal, although a meal takes place, but he's at a wedding. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 2. Yes, we're finally out of chapter 1. Um, we're in John chapter 2. And, and really what I want you to do is I just want you to fall more and more in love with the Savior. And let's just look at, let's just look at Jesus. And, and as we learn what Jesus is like... I also want us to see what you and I need to be like. Because as we watch Jesus, what a model and example he is. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Just read along as I read. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Hint, hint. Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for Jewish custom of purification containing 20 to, or 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. What do we learn about Jesus that maybe we didn't know before and we see him in a different light? What I learn about Jesus is this. Jesus is social. Say that with me. Jesus is social. And there's nothing wrong with being social and getting together with people. And we're told that three days have passed. Now, this is three days since meeting negative, sarcastic Nathaniel. Remember that guy? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? 
And Nathaniel would answer his own question after being overwhelmed with the omniscience of Jesus. And he would say, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So he changed his tune real fast. So it's been three days since that has happened. And he's been invited to this wedding in Cana. And you may say, well, where is Cana? By By way of map, Galilee is an area up there. It's about nine miles north of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. They were down in Bethany where John the Baptist had been baptizing, where he proclaimed Jesus the Lamb of God, and they have made their way up into the area of Galilee. Now, a wedding is a major social celebration that's taking a, a, a part. And, and it's, this is this, the, the event of a Jewish wedding, okay? And you may say, well, what is a Jewish wedding like? Haven't you seen Fiddler on the Roof? Come on, people. You know, you got Model and Zitzel under the canopy and everything. And Lakayim toasting to life and Mazel Tov, good fortune. Well, it's probably not quite the same. I got to tell you, though, spitting in a test tube with Ancestry.com has taught me a lot of things. One is finding out I was 7% Jewish. Never had a clue about that. Confirmed through a family tree. My great, great, great grandfather on my dad's side, Samuel Simmons, this is his marriage contract to his wife. Isn't that interesting? 1854. You may say, well, what happens in this day, in Jesus' day? What is a wedding like? Typically, it would last seven days. The ceremony itself happening on a Wednesday, if you were a widow, it would take place on a Thursday, being remarried. And after the feast, you and your bride or you and your husband would be escorted through the streets by, by your wedding party to your home. And at your home is where the honeymoon would take place. They wouldn't go anywhere. Now, some things we don't know and some things we do know by this passage. We don't know who was getting married. We don't know if they were friends. We don't know if they were relatives. We don't know if Jesus and Mary and the disciples were associated with the bride's side or the groom's side. We do know who some of the guests were. We know Mary was invited. Mary, Jesus' earthly mother. Mary, who was pregnant out of wedlock with Jesus as a virgin engaged to her husband and you may say well where is Joseph we don't know Uh, presumably he has died many people believe at this time we know Mary is there we know Jesus is there who grew up nearby in Nazareth and he's been proclaimed the Lamb of God the Son of God the anointed one being baptized by John in the Jordan and he's the second person of the Trinity God himself becoming a man to dwell among us the Shekinah glory is who he is His disciples, we're told, are there. We're assuming five of them. The five that have been named and one unnamed. Andrew, presumably John, the unnamed one. Simon, whose name was changed to Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. An interesting fact about Nathaniel, in John 21, we're told he is from this same town in Cana of Galilee. Now, Jesus has no problem being social. So much so that he will be accused of being a drunk. In Luke 7, the Pharisees and the lawyers who reject God's purposes for themselves, in verse 33, Jesus says, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread, drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. They demonize John the Baptist because he's different. He doesn't drink. You know, he, he's, he's hanging out in the wilderness preaching the gospel. And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, I want you to notice here, obviously Jesus didn't mind a party. And he's about to provide a whole lot of wine for this one, okay? 
And that's another thing. We'll get in and study that later, part two of this message. But I, but I want you to understand, they were looking down upon Jesus as he socialized with people and as he socialized with questionable characters. As a matter of fact, Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now, how many of the tax collectors? All of the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling. They don't like this at all. This man receives sinners and what does he do? He eats with them. Jesus is social. He socializes with people. He sits down for meals with people. He hangs out with people. He converses with people. That's who Jesus is. Socializing is not a sin. Say it with me. Socializing is not a sin. It's amazing what these Pharisaic, legalistic hypocrites will do though. They love to label people. They will label John the Baptist demonizing him. They will label Jesus as a drunkard and a glutton. I want you to understand. John the Baptist and Jesus are the most, two most godly people on the planet. The most godly people will be demonized and labeled by religious hypocrites. There are some people you will not be able to please. You need to understand this. It, it, it doesn't matter how godly you are. There are some people who will just label you. And they did this to John the Baptist. And they did this to Jesus. The most godly people on the planet. Now Jesus is socializing. Now you may say well bad company corrupts good morals. And he's hanging out with sinners. Yes 1 Corinthians 15.33. Bad company does corrupt good morals. But the company Jesus is keeping. Is not to draw Jesus down. He's impacting them spiritually. You just don't socialize for yourself. You care for the people that you are with. And how can you impact them spiritually? And that's what Jesus is doing. And that's part of what getting together with people is about. It's building them up in the Lord and fellowshipping with them and building into their lives and drawing them closer to Jesus. Understand that. But I want to encourage you, don't be afraid to socialize. Come out of your shell and enjoy a meal and a social gathering and interact and talk and laugh with people. But understand, impact them for the glory of God. Socialize and impact them spiritually. That's what I learned about Jesus, that he's social. But I also learned that Jesus is serious. Say that with me. Jesus is serious. And, and he has this incredible balance of life. He can be social and he can be serious. Now, we're told that the wine runs out and they have no wine. And, and he says, woman, what does that have to do with us? Notice his tone is serious. Woman. What does that have to do with us? Mary brings this problem to his attention. They have no wine. The wine's run out. In other words, Mary knows Jesus can fix this. And she's dropping a major hint. Now, we're not sure if she's thinking miracle or if she's thinking resourcefulness. You need to understand this. Because this is the very first miracle Jesus does. Mary hasn't been working in the kitchen, run out of flour, and say, hey, son, 
flower right now. Poof, flower. Imagine ladies never having a shop. I mean, think about that. No, no, there has been no miracle. We are told this is the very first miracle of Jesus. Now, woman, what does that have to do with us? Jesus rebuffs her. Woman, not mom, not Mary. And understand this is not rude. This is firm, but it is not rude. Some some believe it's the equivalent of saying, ma'am, ma'am. If Jesus has the authority to change Simon's name to Peter the first time he meets him, he has the authority to call Mary by whatever name he wants to, including woman. And that's what he does. And it's not rude because Jesus will address Mary from the cross the same exact way in John 19. Jesus sees his mother and the disciple whom he loves standing nearby. That's John. He says to his mother, woman, behold your son. So it's not rude. This is firm. You may say, well, what's going on here? Jesus is initiating a change in their relationship. You know what he's saying? Mary, you don't have the inside track. You need to come to me like every other person. No longer relating to me as your son, but relating to me as the son of God. You don't have an inside track. And Jesus then asks a good question. What does this have to do with us? Literally, it means what to me and to you. What to me and to you. Not my party, not my responsibility. Why are you involving me in this? And Jesus is making something very clear. I will not respond to hints. I will not be manipulated. I will not be coerced because of relationship I have with you, humanly speaking. And I will not jump at your agenda no matter how much pressure you put on me. Listen carefully. God doesn't respond to our hints or manipulations or trying to be coerced in some way. He's not going to jump at your agenda no matter how much pressure you might be under. He is focused. And he is focused not on wine at a wedding. He's focused and he's determined. And not only is his tone serious, his direction and determination is serious. And he says, my hour has not come. My hour has not yet come. What does that phrase mean? Well, some believe Jesus is likening himself to a bridegroom. The messianic bridegroom, the banquet to come with his people. Some believe it's the prophets as they predicted the messianic age would flow with wine has not yet come. Some believe he's revealing himself. I'm not going to reveal myself as the Messiah at this time. And some believe it's the way to prepare us for how this phrase will be used later in John over and over and over again. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. He talks about his hour and that theme will be developed. For instance, my hour always refers to his death. Always. In John 12, 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In John 12, 27, Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came for this hour. In John 13, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father. In John 17, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. He's focused. My hour has not yet come. 
He's focused on the bigger picture. He's focused on the will of the Father, not wine at a wedding. And Jesus is on this divine timetable and schedule. And everything in his life revolves around the will of the Father. And he will not be deterred. He will not be detoured. He will not be distracted. He's serious is what he is. Now, as Jesus is serious, I believe there's times in your life and my life where we need to be serious. In other words, there's times you need to be serious in your tone. Where you need to stop allowing yourself to be manipulated by people. And giving in to pressure. Because you're such a people pleaser and you don't want to disappoint people. And you need to think bigger picture. And you need to stay firm with who you are. And not allow yourself to be manipulated. Not be rude, but be firm. And not give in to the demands of people. Or give in to the emotions of people. Or whatever track they take with you. To be serious in tone and also to be serious in your direction of life. And stop being so distracted and detours in your life. And the tyranny of the urgent... To know the will of God and follow it through in your life. By the way, the way you know the will of God is by knowing the word of God. To be in the word of God is the way to understand the will of God. You may say, but I don't want to disappoint. Listen, you need to do what God wants you to do whether other people understand it or not. And you have to be willing to handle that. Whether they like it or not, you have to make that decision. You have to do what God wants you to do. And and honestly, I think Mary may have been put out a little bit with Jesus' reply. I mean, maybe defensive, maybe frustrated, you don't understand. She's human just like you and I are human. You know, my wife and I, we have five kids. Plenty of times we make a decision for our family that our kids did not like. And they whine and they complain. And once they whine and complain, oh, we changed it so they'd be okay with it. No, I don't think so. We made the decision. We have the big picture for our family. They're going to need to deal with it. Learn to trust and work through it. Sometimes you need to make the decision. And you need to give them into the hands of the Lord. Those coworkers, those friends, whoever... And let them wrestle with the decision. You need to do what is right in the eyes of God. Just do it. Now, learn. What do we learn from Jesus? That he's social. What do we learn from Jesus? That he's serious and that he has this beautiful balance of the two. What do I learn from Jesus? That he's receptive. He's receptive. He's he's amendable, he's open, he's responsive, he's willing, and it looks like he does an about-face. Because in verse 7 he says, fill the water pots with water. What's going on? Why is Jesus receptive now but not before? Why does Jesus act now but not before? I believe it's the difference in the approach with Mary. His mother in verse 5 says to the servants, hands off, she takes her hands off, whatever he says to you, do it. Mary has stopped trying to control things. She's removed herself from the situation. 
and she's left it in the hands of the servants. In other words, I'm not in charge of this, and, and I'm not going to worry about this. This is someone else's responsibility. I'm taking my hands off. Some of you need to understand that. It's not your responsibility. Take your hands off of it. Stop trying to pressure and manipulate it. And let those in charge be in charge. The servants were in charge of this, not Mary. Stop trying to control everything. It's not your decision. It's not your responsibility. Trust it over. And what does she, what does she say? Whatever he says to you, do it. And the Nike slogan was born right here. Just do it. It's amazing. And by the way, this is great advice for all of us that Mary is giving to these servants. Whatever Jesus says, just do it. Whatever Jesus says, you do it. So she stopped trying to control things and left it in the hands of the servants. Now listen, she stopped pressuring and manipulating and she left it in the hands of Jesus. She now leaves it in the hands of Jesus. No more pressure, no more manipulation, no more pulling the mom card. I mean, she's mom. What card are you likely to pull? What card are you prone to pull? Because of your title? You know who I am? Because of your position? Because of your education? Your background? The degree you have? Where you live? Your finances? What's, what's the chip on your shoulder? The card that you like to pull? That's called pride. I know I've, I've pulled some cards before. Driving down the road. All of a sudden there's lights flashing behind me. And I get pulled over. And Mr. Policeman comes up and talks to me. And Oh, I'm a pastor at a church up the road. <laughs> pastor card. That's fine. You were doing 82 and a 55. <laughs> Ticket. Whatever it was. You know what? We got we to gotta stop pulling cards. And we just need to trust the Lord. You know what we need to do? We need to back off. And give God space to work. And that's what Mary does. She backs off and she gives God space to work. You know, my wife, my wife is great in the kitchen. And she's, she's the goddess, so to speak, of the kitchen. And she loves to cook up a meal and everything. And then I'm in the kitchen and the dog's in the kitchen and the kids are in the kitchen. And what does my wife say? Get out of the kitchen. Give me some space to work. Do you know what we need to do? We need to get out of the kitchen. Get our hands off of it. And give God space to work. And that is what is going to take place. Mary needs to learn. I've got to give it over into the hands of the Lord. And get out of the kitchen. And man, when we just let God work, he can cook something up so much better without us messing it up. Just let God work. And how freeing and how peaceful is that? When we finally stop pressuring and we finally stop manipulating and we finally stop worrying about it and we just give it over to God. I mean, that's what we're taught in Philippians 4. Read this with me. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a powerful passage. He says, worry about nothing. Get out of the kitchen. And he says, pray about everything. Give it over to God. And some of us are real good about talking to everybody else about it but God. we got to stop talking to everybody else about it and start getting on our knees and giving it over to God. And, and then he says, and by the way, do this with an attitude of gratitude, with thanksgiving. Stop with all the whining and stop with all the, the complaining. And just be grateful for who God is and what God has done. And look at all the blessings you do have. And so come in prayer to the Lord with, with an attitude of gratitude and gratefulness. And then he says, hey, peace will be yours. When you finally give it over to God, and there's a peace beyond comprehension, the world just doesn't understand this. And it's a peace that guards your heart and your mind. So when your mind starts racing and your heart starts racing, and you're, he says, my peace is going to guard you. Just give it over to me and get your hands off of it. What a great trade you can make with God. I give God my worries for his peace. That's a pretty good trade. Why why are some of you here today not making this trade? Why do you keep holding on to those worries? Like you can do something about it that God can't? The creator of the universe and the stars and this earth and this planet and every animal and bird. and I think he can handle it. It's a great trade. Before you leave today, whatever you've been so worried about and uptight about, would you give it over to God? Whatever it is, hands off. Now, we see these six stone water pots. What is this about? Look at verse 6. There's six stone water pots set there for Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. So you got some big water pots and there's 20 to 30 gallon each of them and there's six of them. And you may say, well, what is this all about? And so, well, I've got some stone water pots here. I'm going to say, that doesn't look like stone. You have no idea how strong I am. All right, so these are 32-gallon trash cans, all right? So 20 to 30 gallons, and they were filled to the brim. So I want you to think about that for a minute. So filled to the brim, 30 gallons would just be right underneath the top of that because these are 32 gallons. I'll put one over here just to have it close by so you can see it. So think about this. That's a lot of water. That's 120 gallons if there's 20-gallon containers, 180 gallons if it's 30-gallon containers in all of them. And, and by the way, th- that's heavy. First of all, the containers are, what are they made out of? Stone. And water is 8.34 pounds per gallon, so a 20-gallon container would be 166.8 pounds. So you who are about 166 pounds, just stand in that thing, Okay. And, and by the way, what if they're 30 gallons? That's uh, 250.2 pounds. 
So if you're 250 pounds, think about a 250-pound person and trying, trying to lift that up. I mean, that's a lot of weight. And a total weight for, for six 20-gallons would be 1,000 pounds. 30 gallons, six of them, 1,501 pounds. A lot of water is what we're talking about. Why do they need this much water? Why? He tells us. For Jewish custom of purification. It's not for drinking. It's for washing. It's for washing. It's for washing your hands and washing your feet and washing all the kitchen utensils. They don't have sinks with running water. This is their sink. This is how they washed. Take water out, wash your feet. Take water out, wash your hands. They would wash their hands between courses of a meal. Washing all the time, washing the utensils. This is their kitchen sink, so to speak. And what does Jesus say? Fill them up. Fill them to the top. Now, that would take some time. Because you're not putting a hose in it and filling it up. You're not turning on a spigot and filling it up. You're taking a bucket and you're going down to the well. And you're pulling water up from the well. And you're putting water in the bucket. And you're walking all the way back to the house. And you're dumping it in. And you're doing that. And you're continuing to do that. Until every single one of these is full. And we don't know if they were mostly full. Or if some of them were mostly empty. We're not told. All we know is Jesus said, fill them to the brim. Now, if you're one of these servants. you got to be scratching your head saying, why am I doing this? What do you want me to do? Uh, Haven't we washed enough? Don't we have enough water? There's still water in there. Why do I have to fill it up? What we really need is wine, not more water. I want you to understand that there's sometimes Jesus asks you to do something that may not make any sense in your life. But you need to do it. There may be some things in God's word that you need to follow through on. And you don't understand it. But you need to do it. Even if it doesn't make sense. You know what's beautiful about this? Is that Jesus chose even to involve these guys in the miracle. And he didn't have to do that. If you would just take Mary's advice, whatever Jesus says, do it. Whatever his word says, do it. You will be involved in watching God at work. Don't miss watching God at work. Even if it doesn't make sense, follow his word. And follow it to a T and stop making excuses that this doesn't apply to my life and I know better than God at this time. No, you don't. He's God. Just follow his word. What do we learn about Jesus that maybe we didn't see before is that he's social and that he's serious and that he's receptive. What else do we learn? That he is gracious. Say it with me. Jesus is gracious. The water becomes wine. He's gracious to a lot of people. I want you to understand he's gracious to Mary gracious after she stops pressuring and after she stops manipulating and he's gracious to her after she starts trusting after she starts trusting he did something he met the need he did provide he does
He's gracious not only to Mary, he's gracious to the head waiter. Takes it to the head waiter, the head waiter tastes it in verse 8 and 9, and it's become wine. I want you to understand, this is the guy in charge of everything. Jesus is very gracious to him. He's probably been wondering, what am I going to do? Where am I going to find wine? Does any neighbor have wine? How am I going to purchase wine? What am I going to tell all the guests? We're out of wine. Jesus is very gracious to this guy. Jesus is gracious to all of the guests. He provided for everyone there. All the bridal party, relatives, friends of the bride and groom, the disciples. Jesus is gracious. You know what he does? He provides for those who don't even realize they're being provided for. He provides for those who don't even appreciate all that he has just done for them. Isn't that just like God for us? He provides for us every single day in ways we don't even see. He takes care of you. He takes care of me every day. And he provides for us even when we don't appreciate it. Even when we're full of complaint and whining, he still takes care of us. I'm reading through numbers right now. And I just see these Israelites wandering in the wilderness and God has taken such good care of them and all they do is just whine and complain. I think we got to stop whining and complaining so much and just be grateful for how God takes care of us. Now, this is what God does and this is what God wants us to do. To be gracious. He encourages us to have these kind of attitudes and actions. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 44, the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Look at this, for he causes his son to rise on the who? The evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the who? The unrighteous. And so God provides in these incredible ways as creator for those who completely are unappreciative And don't even realize it. He provides for these in this world who curse his name and mock his son. And God still provides for them. He is still gracious. And by the way, he graciously provides for us. Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? I shall not want. He provides. There's no need God does not take care of. I lack nothing is another translation. Psalm 34.10, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. That's God's promise. Matthew 6.31, do not worry then saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, say it with me, and all of these things will be added to you. You have nothing to worry about. I will take care of you. Just seek me. Philippians 4.19. Will you read this verse with me? And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. How many of your needs? All of them. That's your God. Every single day, he will take care of you. He's gracious to Mary. He's gracious to the head waiter. He's gracious to the guests. Notice who else he is very gracious to. The groom and his family. 
You may say, well, why the groom? Because the groom and his family were responsible for paying for it. Different culture was the bride, not the bride's family that paid for the wedding. It was the groom and his family. So he saves them from this humiliation and embarrassment. What an embarrassment to the in-laws. This would not be a good way to start off your in-law relationship. To, to run out of wine at the wedding when you are responsible for it. And it would have been an embarrassment for all of the guests. I mean, think of it this way. You don't, you don't go to a birthday party and they run out of cake. You don't, you don't have a birthday party and run out of cake. You got to have cake for everybody that's at the birthday party. You don't go to a Jewish wedding and run out of wine, people. This was an integral part of the Jewish wedding celebration. And wine is a symbol of joy. And if there's no wine, it would have been seen as a joyless wedding. Oh, and people would have talked. Yeah, did you go to the wineless wedding? Yeah, I was there. Can you believe that? I mean, the stigma on this family that would have been there. Everyone would have been talking for the wrong reason. And Jesus is gracious. Did Jesus have to meet this need? Answer. Let's face it, somebody really messed up and it was all their fault. They misjudged how much wine they needed. Maybe they were too cheap or tight to really think of the budget and what they really needed. Jesus didn't have to help. He could have said, it's your own dumb fault. You should have planned accordingly. Next time you'll learn a lesson. That's how some of our attitudes are toward people. Just like that. It's their own dumb fault. They didn't plan accordingly. Next time they'll learn. Boy, I'm so glad Jesus isn't like that with me. I'm so glad he's not like that with you. He's kind. He provides. He meets the need of this family and he's gracious. And he's gracious when he doesn't need to be. And he's gracious when they don't deserve his grace. Can I encourage you to be gracious like Jesus is gracious? I want to encourage you to save people from their humiliation. Don't laugh at them. Don't point fingers. Don't make fun. Be gracious like Jesus is gracious. Yes, you don't have to do anything for them. But do it anyway. Yes, they messed up. So reach out to them anyway. Yes, they didn't plan accordingly. So help them anyway. That's exactly what Jesus did. They made a mistake and he was gracious. They should have planned better and he was gracious. It was their fault. And he was still gracious. Who do you need to be gracious to? That you've not been gracious toward. Be like Jesus. We live in a very ungracious world. It is filled with hatred and people are so harsh and hard-hearted and they gloat over others and they mock others and they point and they, I told you so's. If we as God's children would just be gracious, we would stand out in this sinful world like you can't imagine. Start being gracious at work. And you will stand out as a child of God. Start being gracious at school among those other students. And people will see that you're a child of God. 
Start being gracious on social media. And people will see that you're a child of God. Start being gracious in your actions toward people. Being gracious in how you communicate and speak to people. And do not be like this world, but be like Jesus. And that's what I learned about Jesus. That he is social. But that he is serious. And that he is receptive. And that, so grateful, he is gracious. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.